I have to admit, when Stuart contacted me to say that Ezekiel was a passage for today, um, while, while my reaction to him was, yeah, yeah, no problem, that's fine, uh, my heart sank a little bit, <laughs> okay? Um, I don't know about you, but I've often struggled with the Old Testament prophetic books, the, the prophets. Um, don't get me wrong, there's, there's parts of them that we love. So we, we love to think of the clear prophecy of Christ's coming. So in a few weeks of Christmas, we'll read from Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And there are passages we turn to for comfort. Like Micah seven eighteen, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression? Or Nahum 1, verse 7. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But there's also a lot of heavy stuff. So the beginning of that chapter of Micah that I read from is entitled Israel's Misery. And the following verse in Nahum says, but with an an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realms of darkness. We don't generally go back to the Old Testament prophets for an easy time. If you know the Old Testament well, you'll understand why God's people are continually screwing up over and over again. It's kind of the story of the Old Testament in many ways. So while there's a lot of encouragement in the prophets for what's to come, for what blessings there are to come in better times, the wonderful promises of God, there's also a lot of him just telling off his people. Reminding them that they've screwed up over and over again. And lots and lots of them completely ignoring God's prophets. There's also some of it that's quite weird. And Ezekiel is a case in point. If you want to go back to Ezekiel 4 and 5 later today and have a wee read, you're going to read some really weird stuff that God asks Ezekiel to do. Things to to act out that are incredibly strange. Some of it's just, just hard to understand where God's coming from. However, today we've been blessed with one of the most uplifting, encouraging passages that you'll find in all of Scripture. In the ESV, it's titled, The Lord's Covenant of Peace. And that term, peace, in its truest form, is something that I hope that we'd all go away today understanding and experiencing a little bit more. So let's start by taking a little bit of a wider look at Ezekiel and where we are in this story of God's prophet. So the Ezekiel, sorry, the Israelites are in exile in Babylon. So and while they're there, God sends visions to Ezekiel and appoints him as a prophet to the Israelites. He calls him a watchman for the house of Israel. His job is to speak God's words, to warn them, but he's not responsible for how they react. He's not accountable for their actions. And he basically does this for 32 chapters. He calls them out for worshipping other gods. He calls them out for causing social injustice. He speaks and acts out signs from God and nobody listens. He prophesies judgment on Israel and on the surrounding nations. There's weird imagery. And central to this is that there's an image that he receives of God's spirit leaving Jerusalem and the temple and the temple being ruined. Then later, halfway through chapter 33, we briefly meet a refugee from Jerusalem who's predicted back in chapter 24, who tells Ezekiel that Jerusalem has indeed fallen. 
the temple has fallen. So we see here that things have gotten so bad with God's people that God has abandoned the temple. In God's own words, he has desecrated his sanctuary. This is really serious. It's as serious as it gets. How would we expect then God to react to his people? What would we expect God to say to his people? How would his words come across to God's people? In the mornings now during the week, my wife Suzanne leaves a little bit earlier than me. Um, So I take on responsibility for the breakfast table to getting to school part of the morning. Any parents will understand how much fun that part of the morning is. So we've got eating our food, not such a challenge for me, but a little bit more for our children. Uh, Brushing our teeth, which despite being a regular twice a day challenge, is a complete surprise every morning. Um, Fixing our hair, which by God's grace Suzanne normally has done before she leaves. And then putting on our shoes, which is generally where I fall on my knees in some sort of desperation. And then we have the clincher, okay? Because at this point, right before we leave, I need two minutes to run upstairs, brush my own teeth, grab my shoes, grab my laptop, grab my bag, and come back downstairs, okay? And I, need, I, I just need two minutes because I multitask the whole thing. I'm running around while brushing my teeth, doing everything else, okay? And when I go to do this, I gently ask our, our delightful children if they would grab their lunch bags, which are all prepared, and put their shoes on. Sorry, no, they've got their shoes on, put their coats on. That's a whole other thing, as many will know. And refrain from one simple thing, which is don't wind each other up, which is obviously a huge mistake for me to say. So you can imagine, and I'm sure my neighbours will attest to the level of my voice and the type of things I'm saying when I come back downstairs and the shoes are off, the coats are nowhere to be seen, lunch bags definitely aren't there, and one of our children will be crying, another one will be running away from me because they caused the crying and they know it, and the third one will have taken off her shoes and socks and somehow smeared some kind of something all over her clean face. You can imagine how I sound when I come downstairs. That's just us dealing with the practicalities of getting to school in the morning as a young family. It's important, but it's, it, it's just what it is, you know. And yet, in my humanness, in my tiredness, in my frustrations, I struggle to keep cool with my little children. Knowing what God's people have done to him, how they've rejected his laws, how they've worshipped false gods, how they've ignored his prophets, how would we expect him to react? How would we expect his words to come across to them? Would anybody be looking forward to hearing from God at this point? I hadn't thought about this before, but it kind of harks back to to Adam and Eve when they knew they had done wrong and they hid themselves away from God. I can imagine that's what I would be doing. I I don't want to hear this. And we get to chapter 34 and the first 10 verses are, in a way, quite predictable. Because God calls out the shepherds of Israel. He tells off the leaders. And later he tells off the flock as well. He promises to judge between the fat and the lean sheep. But the key message of this chapter that we're in is that God's going to step in. He's going to take over. He himself will be their shepherd. We read from verse 11 in chapter 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. 
As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in their veins and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and where, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Hold on a minute. They continually rejected him. False worship, ignoring his prophets. So far they went that his presence leaves the temple. And yet, this is how he speaks to them. What love. And so we come to our passage from verse 25. By the way, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 866. I checked that because I'm really aware that when you come to a book like Ezekiel, I wouldn't have a clue where it is. So it's, if you go past the Psalms a bit, but if you hit Daniel, you've gone too far, okay? 866 is where we are. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. I will make them in the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send on showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety. No one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victim of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are the sheep the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. I'll tell you what, never on a weekday morning have I come down to see my kids making a mockery of my plans and a mess of my home and spoken to them as lovingly as this. I don't come down and say, you know what? You just need me to step in. You need your father. You need some comfort. You need care. Maybe my response needs to be a bit more like that. Despite all that we are, all of our wickedness, all of our weakness, our repeated mockery of our God, he responds with incredible grace. As a wise minister once put it in an email asking me to speak on this passage this week, it's a wonderful picture of the life that we as God's people find in Jesus. It speaks of belonging, safety, provision, blessing that are sourced in a life lived with him. If I'm going to fill in for Stuart, I may as well steal his best lines, right? These seven verses begin with the Lord stating that he is going to make a covenant of peace with his people. This is 
the new covenant that Jeremiah had spoken of maybe 40 years before in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after the time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is speaking to the new covenant to come through Christ. The one that we get to live in. How beautiful. Now don't worry, that's, that's me done with jumping around Old Testament prophets, okay? I'm going to concentrate on today's passage now. So this is God declaring a new covenant. One to come, a covenant of peace. It's all good. It's a hugely encouraging picture that's being drawn The first half of the passage speaks of a land safe from wild beasts, showers of blessing, trees and growing that will yield crops and people secure in their land. Safety, provision, blessing and security. The second half speaks of an end to slavery, protection from enemies and wild animals, no more fear, famine or scorn. So again, more safety, protection and provision. And it's all split with the phrase, they will know that I am the Lord. The promised covenant of peace is described in detail with a reminder in the middle. And then it's concluded with the words in verse 30 and 31. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. These passages of blessing and provision and safety are the outworkings of this new covenant, this covenant of peace. And what is this peace? This peace is knowing that he is the Lord, that he's with them and that they are his people, sheep of his pasture. True peace is this relationship with God Safety, provision, and blessing are the outworkings, but the true peace is the relationship with him. Knowing he's Lord, he's their God. He's our God. We are his people. We're going to take a little bit of time now drawing down into verse 26. It shouldn't surprise you when we read it, um, thinking of the fresh series that we've been, we've been in for the last... Uh, Nine weeks, and specifically fresh rain that we've been speaking about for the past three weeks. So two weeks ago, Stuart shared from First Kings about Elijah hearing and then eventually seeing the coming rain. And last week, he spoke from Deuteronomy about how the promised land would provide fresh rain in season. So it shouldn't surprise anyone that I'd focus on this verse when God declares, I will make them and the places surrounding my hell a blessing. I will send on showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. 
Now, I, I need to admit at this point that I get a little bit uncomfortable talking about blessing. I'm someone who gets a bit frustrated sometimes with Christians in this regard, especially when we think about outreach and evangelism. I get uncomfortable talking about the blessings of God because I worry that we can let that overshadow the true gift of God, which is eternal life with him, forgiveness of our sin and acceptance into his family. I worry that sometimes we can play that down because we're not sure if people will, will get it, if they'll really understand it. We're not sure how they'll react to that idea. Um, and we play up how wonderful it is to be a Christian, how great it is to be part of the church, how much better we cope with life now, how much God blesses us. And don't hear me wrong, these are all true and good things. But they're not the main thing, so I, I can get a little bit uncomfortable talking about blessing. But that's on me. Because the full canon of scripture tells us that we will hear of abundant blessings from God for his people. It's not something to be scared of, not something to shy away from. It's something we should shout from the rooftops. God is so very good to us. And there are a couple of things about this verse that I want to, want to think about that stand out to me. That's, I'm going to break it down just a little bit. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. So first off, we are to be a blessing. That's great. It's fairly simple, right? Let's think a little bit deeper. Whose responsibility is it for this? I will make them a blessing. God's the one in charge here. That's very much the gist of the whole passage. I will make a covenant of peace. I will make them a blessing. I will send showers. I will break the yoke. I will provide. God does the work. So we have yet another reminder of who is in charge across the whole the whole story of scripture. Our God is powerful. He's wise. He's all-knowing. He's provident. He reigns. He declares that his people will be a blessing, but he's going to be doing it. It's going to be divine workmanship. So it's off our backs. We can have the best intentions, the best programs, the widest reach, the most incredible teaching, but unless the Holy Spirit moves, when God does that work, that's how we can become a blessing to everyone around us. So, pressure off. Or is it? I will make them a blessing. Notice who he's talking to here. Earlier in, in the, the chapter, God spoke specifically to the shepherds of Israel, the leaders. But here, that's not what he's doing. I will make them a blessing. God's words through Ezekiel at this point aren't to the leaders, aren't to the talented or the confident or the more experienced or the wise. I will make them a blessing. All of them. All of his people. All of us. You can imagine where I'm going with this. He doesn't say I will make Ezekiel a blessing in the same way he doesn't say I'll make Stuart a blessing or Esther or Steph or Dan or Shane or anybody in particular. He'll make his people a blessing corporately, individually. We who are his people, he will make a blessing. So, pressure back on a little bit. 
because we need to ask ourselves, how is God making me a blessing at the moment? How has he made me a blessing? What ways can I be a blessing? How is this church a blessing? And the easy answer is to cop out and say, well, that's on God. And in a way, you're right. He's the one who does the divine workmanship on this. But we're not off the hook. We can look at the example of Ezekiel to understand this a little bit better. I mentioned earlier that Ezekiel was appointed by God to be a watchman for the Israelites. We read in chapter 33, verse 7, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Ezekiel is given responsibility to give the warning. And if he does not warn them, then he's responsible. But if he warns them and they do not listen, which is what happens, he's innocent. He's not responsible for what they did with that warning, how they react. And this tension is similar for ourselves in the work of God. We have a responsibility to step up, to do something with what God has given us, to put ourselves out there in his service, to share about him, to love and serve others, to love and serve him, to love and serve his church. We have a responsibility in this, but we aren't responsible for the success of what we do. That's on God. That's where God turns that work. That's where God does that thing that we can't understand where he creates and and turns what we do and what we share for him as a blessing to others. He's the only one who can turn our earthly efforts into a blessing. Because remember, we're not talking about blessing in earthly terms. This isn't health and wealth. That's not what we're talking about. It's not about success and money and all the things of this world. We're talking about real blessing which comes from communion with God. I will make a covenant of peace, real peace, real blessing. So when we read that God promises he will make them a blessing, we need to ask ourselves, how are we being a real blessing, a true blessing? How is God using us? What has he placed in our path? Who has he placed in our path? What's he pressing on our hearts? What skills and talents has he put in us when he created us? How has he directed our love? And are we pressing into these things? Or are we choosing to ignore them? Back to verse 26. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Look at this picture of God's blessing. Showers. Isn't that exciting? It's fresh rain. God doesn't promise a drizzle. There isn't a little bit of of blessing being offered. He talks about multiple showers of blessing. One commentator said that when, 
God gives blessing. He often does so in such measure that there's not enough room to receive it. A few years ago, this church planted in the center of Belfast. And since that central has had multiple locations and lived through a global pandemic, okay? Not ideal circumstances. And yet, they are in a place where they can't open communities fast enough for the people joining their church. They've been handed a beautiful building in May Street. 20 days ago, they asked their congregation for 15,000 pounds towards an accessibility project. And within days, they had to raise that to 20,000. And they're sitting at 97% of the total now. Feel free to go home and, and put the last few quid in there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God promises his people, despite all the ways we reject him, make a mockery of him, disobey him, showers of blessing. The passage describes that the trees and ground will yield crops. People will be secure, live in safety, will be provided for. Blessing, provision, safety in abundance. Now, I'm really aware that this all sounds fantastic. This is all really positive. But for many in this room, blessing might not be the reality of what you've been facing recently. It might not be how you feel right now in your life. Our church is large and it's impossible to know everybody and know everybody's circumstances. But I do know a bunch of you. And I know many of you are hurting. I know you're grieving, struggling. Many are tired. Many are feeling weak. A lot of us feel like we're maybe needing to put on a brave face to keep the show running. Some will feel like they're sewing in the dust like Stuart mentioned the other week. And that they can't see or hear the sight of any rain in any direction. And if that's you, I'm sure me rambling on about these showers of blessing feels completely alien to you. Well, please hear this. God says, I will send down showers in season. And that's not easy to hear, but God's timing is perfect. Just last week, I heard of two stories of people in our congregation praying specific prayers for God to provide contact with specific people. One just to engage and, and the other for the chance to pray with them. And in both cases, within hours, God provided that. He reached into our world. With his perfect timing, he did what only he can do. Sometimes we see God's timing. Sometimes his timing is what, our, what we would wish his timing to be, but sometimes it's not. Stuart spoke last week about the different types of seasonal rain to provide moisture for the soil and then to provide growth. We live in a country where we bemoan the rain, but we know that God's faithfulness through the rain in season means that we have plenty to eat, plenty for our needs. So I know it's hard to hear, but we can trust in God's seasons. He's faithful and generous and he is good and he will provide. So keep sowing in the dust. Keep listening 
and watching for the sight and the sound of his reign because it will come. We've talked about how this passage beautifully speaks about how lives in Christ look. Blessing, safety, provision. But the truest blessing of all is described at the end in verses 30 to 31. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture. I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. Ezekiel's time as a prophet came while the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon. They'd been taken from Jerusalem where the temple lay. Most importantly, taken from where God's presence was. And there's a lot of detail in Ezekiel about how God's presence moves and what would happen, who would get to go back, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to get into all that. But what's important here is that the people are in exile, removed from the dwelling place of God. Removed from communion with him, from the home they're designed to be in. And our passage begins with God declaring that he will make a covenant of peace with them. A restoration of that communion with him. And it ends saying, then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. That they, the Israelites, are my people. The single greatest blessing that God bestows on his people is the knowledge of knowing that we are his. I, the Lord, your God, am with you, and you are my people. We've talked about showers and season, and eventually, one day, the season of our existence will be the one where we, as his people, get to come back from exile to be with him where there'll always be safety, no danger from wild beasts, where the trees will yield their crop, like the garden of Eden, the ground will yield its crops. There'll be no yoke, no slavery, no plundering by the nations, no fear, no victims, no scorn. This is a picture of the garden. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of life with Christ forever. And it's also a picture of the glimpse we receive in this life. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. It's obvious echoes of Psalm 23. We know it well for good reason. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This promise from God is for our today. It's a glimpse of heaven in this life and it's a foretaste of glory divine when we get to be with him. 
I know my shepherd lives. Jesus is mine. Every day lived with him as a shower of blessing even through the darkest valleys of life. Do you know this good shepherd? The one who lays down his life for his sheep. This God who sees the mess that we've made of his way, the disregard and the mockery of his home, and rather than raging or giving up on us, chooses in grace to make peace. Not a peace where we shake hands and go along with it as long as everybody's still happy on their end. Not like a Northern Irish peace. But a peace that all rests on his shoulders on his forgiveness, on his sacrifice in place of our rebellion. If you don't know him, but if you can see from all of this that you should want to know him and you do want to know him, know him pray these words with me now. Let's pray. Father, I am sorry for all the ways we rebel against you. I'm sorry for all the ways I get it wrong. And God, I thank you that despite all of this, that you come in peace through your grace and you offer us redemption. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came as one of us, but in his divine nature died and rose again to take our place and defeat death on our behalf. Please, Holy Spirit, come into our lives. Be with me now today. Rule my life and make Jesus my Lord and Savior and God the commander of my heart and my ways. Be with me always and be with us now as we worship. Amen.